We are continuing our sermon series, ironically, called Advent. I know, it's original. Stick with me. Watching and waiting, here's where we've been and where we're going. Uh, whoops, I, I overshot there. That's my bad. Double, double tapped the trigger. All right, last week was wait for it. This week is Simeon Seas. I know Simon says, but Simeon Seas. Now, if you ever want to go back and catch any of these that you've missed, we have a YouTube channel, we have a Facebook page, and we have a website, wordserve.org slash sermons. You can catch all of these. So if you want the whole service, look at Facebook and YouTube. If you just want to cut to the chase and get to the sermon, look at the website. Something for everyone. All right? And then we're going to be walking down the uh, never too late blessed and you've made a mistake. That doesn't sound like a Christmas Eve sermon, but it's going to be, so stick with us. All right. So this month, <clears throat> excuse me, this month, well, actually technically last month, we've got some big news in the Hogan household. Some of you know, some of you don't. Uh, Ron and I have three grown daughters. Two are married. One is not. That's about to change. So our youngest is now engaged. <laughs> and I don't know how that happened because I'm not getting any older. In my mind, she's still like 12. That's way too young. But no, she's a lot older than that. But uh, sometimes it's just hard to let go of that. And, and the, so the, you know what that season is like, you know, this, this hope and oh, all we need is love. You know? No, no. If you've been married more than um, two minutes, you know <laughs> that it takes more than just love, right? It takes a whole lot more than just love. And as we look at their plans and everything, now, now you know, they're, they're doing this right. They're intelligent people, and I trust them. Yeah, we, I was going to say I raised them. Rana raised them. I, I wasn't around as much. Um, Rana raised them well, and so I'm not worried about this. But you just look at the way that they approach things, and you're going, oh, oh child. You are in for a surprise, because it's not going to be all unicorns and rainbows. It's not going to be that way. And, and I can honestly say that you would probably give different advice now than you would when you were in that position, would you not? Uh, if not, you, you might have some trouble learning. <laughs> here's, here's what I, I have observed over the years. In fact, Ron and I are going to celebrate an anniversary uh, later this month in, in 25 days. And I'm going to go back and watch this so I remember on the 25th day from now that it is our anniversary. But uh, this will be number 38 for us. And I can honestly say, I don't... Oh, yes, thank you. Yeah, I've been married longer than Jimmy's been alive. But anyway. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But here's what I can honestly say. I don't love Rana like I used to. I'm pausing for effect, because here's what I know is going to happen. As soon as you leave here, did you hear what Pastor Bill says? He doesn't love Rana anymore. That is not what I said. What I said was, I don't love Rana like I used to, because that love is so much more mature. That, that love has been through everything. You know all those vows that you take in there if you're sickness and in health? Yeah, those are just words when you're newlyweds, but they mean something when you've been through cancer. Moving all over the world, raising three girls, sickness, death of loved ones, all of those things have taken us to a depth that I could not have even described at that point. And it's not that I, I wouldn't want that. It's just I had no clue when I was a kid. No idea what I was getting into, and she didn't either, by the way. You know, that whole thing about, you know, for richer, for poorer, you know, we, okay, mostly poorer, but 
Nobody joins the military to get rich, and, and by the way, nobody becomes a pastor to get rich either. But I'm not worried about that now. She might be, but I'm not. <laughs> but it has been amazing, and I can honestly say I don't love her like I used to because I love her so much more deeply. It's, it's so much more complex than that. I couldn't have even put words to that when I was at that stage. And it's a mature love. Now, the reason I raise this example is because mature faith has many of the same benefits. And sometimes it comes because not the good times. They would have been there too. But because of the hard times that you've stuck through together. The hard times that have melded you. That pressure will do one of two things. It will either crumble you or it will compress you and make you one. And how we approach our faith can do the same thing. So what I want to give you this morning is an example of mature faith. And this mature faith this morning is found in Simeon, a guy who uh, we all should meet. Simeon was one of those guys <clears throat> that worked the temple. Simeon was old, and I mean really old, like about to, to go old. He worked at the temple, and, and the scripture will describe him as devout and righteous. This guy took his faith seriously, and he did it for a long time. And so as Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to the temple for the standard rituals that you do when you have a newborn, guess who's there? It's Simeon. And as we read the passage this morning, I want you to listen for Simeon's mature faith because it's going to come out in good news and bad news. But here's the thing. A mature faith can handle both. So as we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, <clears throat> We're going to read the story of Simeon's encounter with the baby Jesus. Now, understand, baby Jesus is fresh. He, he, he can't even say a word yet. He's still in diapers. He, he basically is just a baby. But this is how Simeon encounters him. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the, rising, the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Did you hear the maturity in Simeon's faith? Now, let me tell you what I probably would have said if I were Simeon, because understand where Simeon is at. Simeon has been devout. Simeon has been righteous. Simeon has been doing this for a long, long time, and he's seen a lot. Think about what he would have seen in his lifetime. Many false prophets arising, many revolts starting being mercilessly crushed by Rome. And these are people he knows. These are neighbors. These are people in his neighborhood. And yet, no Messiah. But he has a word from God that says, you will not pass from this world until you see the Messiah. And in that, 
he gains hope. So if at this point in my life, I'm Simeon and I'm old and I get to hold the baby and I recognize this is the Messiah, you know what my response would have been? <laughs> Not mine, no. <laughs> my response probably would have been, seriously, God? Why couldn't you have done this earlier? Why did you let us suffer? Why did you let my neighbors get crushed by Rome? Why did you let those people lead us astray? Why did you? And you can fill in your own blanks. I'd have a lot of questions for God. But listen to what Simeon has to say. Sovereign Lord, still in charge, as you have promised, Simeon doesn't doubt. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. Now, that's a whole different approach than I would have taken. I did not see that coming. For his eyes have seen the salvation which you prepared in sight of all the nations. And here's the thing that floors me. Simeon, I mean, he has enough reason to be upset. But he's recognizing in this moment when Jesus is just a baby, hasn't even mumbled a word yet, that this isn't about me. See, all these disappointments that I have, like, why didn't you do this for me? God, why aren't you going to act on my behalf? God, why don't you speak to me? It's not about us. I got some bad news for you. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about us, I should say. That's better said. And so he is rejoicing because of something that will happen in the future because he is confident that God will do it. But it's not just for his people. It's for all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And he's celebrating that. And he says, you know what? I can die in peace now because I know you've got this, God. God, I wish I had a mature faith like that. I'm still working on mine. I don't know about you, but I'm still working on mine. But there's some lessons that we can learn from how Simeon approaches this, and, and here's the first one. <clears throat> oh, sorry. These are the, the prayers that you know, I would have uttered. Uh, hey, do something, God. That, that's not a, a, a question. That's a, God, do something. Uh, and, and are you even listening, God? Have, have you ever been in this place? Have you ever felt that? You could probably fill in your own blank of prayers that you've uttered to God out of disappointment, out of anger. And let me tell you this up front. It's okay. God can handle your anger. God can handle, handle your bitterness. God can handle it all. Read the Psalms sometime. David, a man of God, let it rip. And you can too. But these are questions that I might have asked. Do something, God. Are you even listening? Now, first thing we have to do is when he says you can let uh, your servant now depart in peace, we have to understand what peace means to Simeon because peace is not what we think it means. In our world, peace is all of this. I don't know if you can read all this, but it's like getting along, being friends, having good feelings. Is it possible to have bad feelings and still experience peace? I would tell you yes. Is it possible to not have as many friends and still experience peace? Yes, it is. I do know this. I have no friends. <laughs> all right, so we'll work on the... All right. <laughs> I'm going to get my dad jokes out if you don't start laughing. All right, so uh, quiet time. It's a lack of conflict. Can you have peace in the midst of conflict? Yes, you can. And that's what a mature faith does. So how do we get there? Uh, understanding what peace means when he says peace in the, in, in the Jewish tradition that word shalom doesn't just mean an absence of conflict. It's much, much more than that. It means a restoration, a restoring of things as they should be. And so when Simeon says, you can, you can dismiss your servant in peace, he's saying, I know it's going to be restored, and, and I'm okay. 
I know that you will do this. I know you will restore Israel. I know not only that, you will continue the mission that you started to save the entire world. It's that restoration that God is going for. And how does he do that? Well, through this very baby, Jesus Christ, who grows up, who dies on a cross for the sins of the world and is raised again, we have the ability to be restored to God. See, Simeon knows this is coming, and he's okay with that. Why? Because he was devout, because he was righteous, and because he believed God would do what God said he would do. So that's the first part. This peace means to restore. So here's the thing, though. <laughs> this peace is not always peaceful. It's a process. And so Simeon, who would have definitely known the, the words from Isaiah, can share a couple of things. And this is going to be a key point for us today because on the first one, in 8.14, he says, he will be a holy place. He's talking, this is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah talking about Jesus. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. That doesn't sound very hopeful. But here's the thing. We get this Messiah. We get this good feeling. We get this uh, friends and all these other things that make us think that we have peace. And then we run smack dab in the middle of this thing called reality. And reality has truth. And sometimes truth hurts. Sometimes truth asks me to do things that I don't want to do. Sometimes truth calls me out of my comfort zone. And I don't like that. I'd rather have my version of peace. So is Jesus going to be a trap and a snare, a stumbling block? Or here's the other way Isaiah looks at him. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. How many people have ever felt anxiety? Want to know how to prevent that? Build on this cornerstone in the way that Simeon did. I'm not there yet. I'm working on it, and I'll work on it with you. But I long for that mature faith that allows me to experience Jesus as a cornerstone, not a stumbling block. Peace is not always peaceful. And here's the other lesson we can learn. Peace is not always personal. <laughs> a lot of times when I pray for peace, I'm not worried about you. <laughs> I'm worried about me. God, grant me peace. God, calm my anxiety. Now, hear me out. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. But I think that we can do better, Lord, serve. I think we can say, help us find peace. Help us with our anxiety. Help me help my neighbor with their anxiety. See, this is a ripple effect. This is never a single drop for me. This thing called Jesus, this thing called faith is meant to be shared. Otherwise... God's not as magnified as he could be. And that is our mission, to help spread that word, to help spread that good news. These are the words of Simeon himself in his praise to God in that moment when he looks at a baby who hasn't done anything yet, but Simeon knows what's coming. And this is what he says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon's not being exclusive here. He's saying, look, this is for everybody. And it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say, for God so loved this tribe. For God so loved this zip code. For God so loved this section of people that has been walled off. 
God loved the world. And the world needs to hear that. That's what we're preparing for in this season, to be able to tell them that. So <clears throat> when we look at a mature faith, uh, I, I love this quote, our faith begins to mature when being near the Lord is more important to us than what it will cost us to attain. If you want to ask someone what it costs to provide that way to restore peace, ask Jesus. Ask him if it was worth the cost. And like I said in my prayer earlier, I can't fathom that. If, it, if things relied on me, I would have been like, I'm done with this. You people are knuckleheads. I'm just being honest. But thank God I'm not Jesus because he wasn't done with us. And he went all the way to the end, right? I got one amen. That's a, that's a record for me. That's good. <laughs> we'll work towards more. My batting average is 0 .001. <laughs> keep going. Oh, oh, keep asking. I, see, I don't ask. That's my problem. <laughs> ask and you shall receive. So what is mature faith? How does this work? Well, here's three points that we can look at from Simeon's life that will help us develop that mature faith. And the first is commitment. Because remember how I said about the things that we go through, sometimes it's the bad things, the hard pressure that we get under. If we will commit to following through, we will be formed by that. We will be shaped by that. As the author Max Locato says, this is anvil time. You get laid on the anvil and life and God just start pounding on you. Is it pleasant? No. Do you like the shape after you get done? Yeah, you look more like Christ. That's the way that works. It doesn't all have to be that way. Sometimes we can actually go along with it voluntarily and do what God asks. That would be the other way to do this. But I'm not that bright. I am required to be hammered on to get shaped into the image of Christ. Anybody else? Yeah. No amens to that? Yeah. <laughs> so commitment. Saying, okay, God, here's the thing. No matter what happens, I'm with you because I know you're with me. No matter what I think should happen and something else does, it doesn't meet my expectations, I am with you. No matter what disappointments I face, I am with you. Do you, do you think Jesus experienced disappointment? Yeah, have you read the scriptures? <laughs> One of my seminary professors, Jesus and the disciples, because they never got it, right? It's like, come on, guys, how long have I been with you and you still don't get this? How long, oh, Lord? I would have been done, but he's not. And so this commitment that he offers us can be returned. And if we return that, if we walk with him through this, we will be shaped in ways that we can't even imagine. That's the first part. And I just blotted through a bunch of slides as I was talking. I have to talk with my hands. I, sorry, thank you for covering. <laughs> the second one is learning. Here's the thing. You can have wins and losses, or you can have wins and lessons. Let me say that again. You can have wins and losses, or you can have wins and lessons. Everything that happens can be a teacher. And if you take a loss and turn it into a lesson, then you win. That's the way this works. How many people here have lived a flawless and perfect life and nothing has ever gone wrong? No amens to that either, huh? Yeah, me either. In fact, I could, I could spend all day telling you all the things that I've done wrong, but if I take that to mean that all those things that happen can be a lesson and can teach me and shape me into the image of Christ, that's a win. So don't have losses. Don't acknowledge that this is a loss. Think this is a lesson. What will it teach me? How will I respond? And I guarantee life will change 
life will be different. Will it be perfect? No, because there's more lessons to come. <laughs> Bad news. <laughs> They're going to keep coming. But the more I learn, the more I can adapt. The more I can adapt, the more I can trust. The more I can trust, the more I can follow. The last one is looking forward. I'm doing a, a, a couple's marriage counseling right now, and one of the things that we're talking about is resiliency in marriage. Resiliency, we often think about the ability to bounce back. Here's my personal take, and you won't find this in any literature. This is just the, the resiliency according to Bill. I don't believe in bouncing back. <laughs> that doesn't sound like resiliency, does it? Here's, let me explain. I don't believe in bouncing back because I think so often we think about going back to what was. We have phrases like this for the good old days. We have phrases for that because of, of our desire to go back to the way things were. But I guarantee if you went back to the good old days and you lived them again, they're not so good. There were things in there that weren't good. The thing is, over time, we've just blotted them out and remembered the good. And our tendency to want to go back. I, I, I was talking to my daughters the other day, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I sound like my grandparents. Like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that. You're like, oh, these, yeah, these days, it's just... And I, was, I was kind of going off on a little rant there. I was like, hmm, I'm longing for the good old days. And, and I just totally alienated two daughters in the process, right? Not really. They're good. But here's the thing. Every time that we focus on going back, and, and oh, by the way, I don't know if you know how time works. You, you can't go back. You can only go forward. And the more we try to go back and the more we focus on looking back, the less effort we have into looking forward. And who's to say what's to come can't be better than what the good old days were because we've learned lessons, because we're committed in this, and we know that Jesus is committed with us. Who's to say what is coming is not way better than what has been? And I don't mean happy, glad circumstances. I'm not talking rainbows and unicorns. I'm talking real life. But in the midst of that chaos, there is peace. There's commitment. There's lessons. There's wins. There's Christ. So looking forward is the way I would prefer to go. Now, I guarantee you that if you were to give newlyweds advice now, if you've been married any length of time, more than two minutes, it would look way different because you have a mature understanding. And I'm not holding up this model as if, you, if you've experienced trouble in marriage, if you've experienced divorce. I'm not saying that you failed. Uh, I'm hoping that that's a lesson that we've learned. And I'm hoping that what will be will be better than what was. So I'm not saying that's the perfect model, but if we take that to a mature faith, this is something that all of us can do. And we can do it successfully. Here's, here's what it looks like. I, I put a formula together for the engineers out there. So mature faith sees more. And here's what can happen when we have mature eyes in faith. We can find peace in chaos. And you can add praise and pain and lessons in loss. And if you add all that together, it actually looks like heaven on earth. Now that's hard to understand. It's harder to live, which is why we don't do this alone. But if you'll experience that, if you'll give Christ a chance, if you'll be guided by the Holy Spirit, I, I, I challenge you to come back to me in a year of living this formula and see if life isn't different. And if it isn't, let's talk. Because there's a lesson for me to learn in that. I think if we had eyes like Simeon and we had a more mature faith, we would be the rocks that people would lean on 
But here's the thing. Every time somebody looks at that, we always have to be cognizant of the fact that I am not the rock. I'm standing on the rock. Let me introduce you to him. That's mature faith.